So you got a whole uh, alpha team now, don't you? But you, but you have a wealth of knowledge that is beneficial to a lot of people, and it we can move the needle. How often do you hear a hunting podcast? We talked about this. People relate to this. Well, thanks for joining me today. Uh, you, welcome to Eastman's podcast edition. I'm Mike Eastman, your host. Today, I have uh, a very good friend of ours, uh, Aaron Snyder from Kafaru. Um, if you don't know him, you've been living underneath a rock. Uh, Aaron's uh, got a, quite the social media presence, and uh, he's, he's a really interesting man. I've known Aaron for probably 10 years. Has it been? Yeah, probably more than that, actually, thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, First time I met you was at the Denver ISE show. Yeah, a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah. I don't go to those shows anymore, actually. I try not to. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say bullshit. I saw, you, I saw you at the Hunt Expo this year. Yeah, yeah. I went to that one. With the clothing and the, the backpacks or whatever, I, I told my crew I'd go to one. So that was the one. <laughs> that I, was the one. Yeah. yeah. That was the one. But. Well, that's cool. So you've, uh, you've, you've, you've obviously made a splash in the industry, and uh, backpacks are, are killing it. We're here in Riverton, Wyoming, in the headquarters of, of Kafaru, which is just down the road from us in I like a blizzard. To call it, I like to call it the world headquarters. It sounds better because there's only <laughs> one. So uh, I actually stole that from John Barclow. But yeah, it's the world headquarters. <laughs> the world headquarters of Kafaru. <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez, that's cool. So Aaron, um, you know, this is kind of a different little conversation. We're going to talk about who Aaron is. Um, I know a lot of these podcasts, you get suckered into talking about hunting or talking about the, you know, whatever the hot topic is at that moment or talking about this or that. I want to talk about Aaron. I want to know, you know, where'd you grow up? You know, when did you start hunting? Some of, some of your most memorable hunts, you know, what you're doing now. Uh, you know, I know you have a really interesting uh, life before you got, you know, involved in Kafaru. So where did you, you grew up in Idaho or uh, Oregon, right? Oregon, yep. Uh, Detroit Lake, Oregon. It's about 200. It's actually just burnt down uh, recently. Oh, jeez. Oh, but uh, yeah, two, 200 people in my hometown. Um Right in the middle of Cascade Range. So like for for uh, geographically where the Pacific Crest Trail, you know, where it goes from Canada to Mexico, mm -hmm. that comes through the Cascades. Um, I'm just west of the Pacific Crest Trail. So okay. the... Uh, you Is know, that being, north of Portland then? South. South. So... Um, if you like, if you look at Bend and let's say Portland and kind of drew an angled line, I'm kind of mm -hmm. in the middle there. So it's kind of weird because there's Cascade, like there's Roosevelt's and Rocky Mountains, and then Bench Legs, like half mule deer, half blacktail, right where I'm at. So they're not true Roosevelt's or two blacktail, but we're right on the transitioning from like old growth triple canopy rainforest into like more central Oregon. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you know, an interesting place to grow up. The lake was like, I think it's nine miles long or whatever the hell it is that I lived on had, you know, a lot of, I mean, if you can imagine there's not a lot of anything to do, but fishing and hunting. So, right. um, you know, big, uh, big wilderness area right there where I'm at as well. So I kind of grew up, well, you can uh, appreciate this. Like my daughter asked when I think she was 12, she's like, dad, did you have a job when you were 12? I'm like, Kaylee, I was falling trees when I was 12. Like, yeah, that's, we, we split firewood for fun in the summer. Like, yeah, I, I was <laughs> for working. fun, <laughs> yeah. AKA warm our house all year. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's not to jump up. Stuff, we have a new, my wife did a custom home here and she put a fireplace in it. But for her, that's a <laughs> scenery thing. Right. And so <laughs> you just I, look at that as work. <laughs> well, she was like, uh, should we, you know, it'll be fun to go, you know, get firewood. What I'm like, no, we're paying somebody to bring that shit in. I'm not going to go split firewood anymore. I hate to sound like a weenie, but I'm like, one, it's an epic. <laughs> time suck but i'm like honey 
we were splitting wood for four families and oh my that gosh. was our primary heating. And so like, um, when you, it's obviously now I've gotten lazier or whatever, like I'm like, yeah, I don't want to drive into the woods and split firewood. So we had somebody deliver the wood. So when we first got it, I like loaded up the first night I loaded up the stove, obviously, and then dampened it down. And she's like, what are you doing? Why are you putting that much wood in there? And uh, she's like, you, you just turn it off. And I'm like, well, the idea here is to save on the heating bill. Like, I'm <laughs> She's like, her. no, it's not. It's ambiance. Yeah, Wait, exactly. What? Yeah. So uh, I was explaining to her whatever, like how the stove works and dampening it down and the different wood to burn. Because like, I tell you what, if... Um, I'm going to become a professional wood splitter here. Like if I lose my job, what <laughs> they charge money. for a quart of wood, I'm like, hmm, that's good side money. Uh, so th things have changed. But yeah, anyway. Of course, it's a little different. G uh, gathering wood here is a little different. It's a lot further to to, to the forest. Yeah. Uh, you have to deal with bears. You have to deal with, you know, the forest service craziness. It, 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 and and the trees are a lot different. So it's it's a little harder. But yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah. We, we, uh, we, I don't think you got, I don't think you're a weenie. I don't think you got lazy. I think you just got older in a different place in your life and, and decided my time's better spent, I don't know, building backpacks or, yeah. or, or yelling at people on social media or something yeah, versus yeah. chopping wood. Definitely, definitely not uh, at the top of my list to go split wood again. And I think though, how, when you're raised like that, it gives you an appreciation, obviously much different than different optics from, from others. Cause like we were raised pretty poor, um, you know, I picked mushrooms for school clothes. So we like chanterelles, mushrooms. And anyway, there was mushroom buyers or whatever. And so for me to have new school clothes, I had to mow lawns, pick mushrooms, um, split firewood, total different world than what we live in now in, in a lot of ways. Anyway. But it gave you perspective. It actually, it gave you perspective so that when you got, you know, uh, 40 something, you go, I don't want to split any more firewood. I've been there, done that. And that wasn't that much fun. Yeah. Well, and I think too, um, you know, like with how I got to where I'm at was pretty much luck, but hard work fixes a lot of um, mm -hmm. problems. I like, I barely graduated high school. Um, really? It was rough. Um, my, when my mom say my GPA was like three sacks a game or whatever her, um, <laughs> But I, I didn't do that well in school, and then I joined the you know the army, and I was in the army. I uh, ended up getting out um, after my second reenlistment, and didn't really know what I was gonna do. And so, like running a company, like I wasn't prepped for any of this. But I've just found like if you just work hard enough, that solves a lot of problems. And it's amazing just labor pool now trying to find. People, a lot of people just don't want to work anymore. Yeah. So yeah. I'm sure you guys run into the same thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so you were in the army for two, for two enlistments. What'd you do for them? Uh, 12 Bravo. It's kind of, that was my primary MOS. So it's kind of like, um, infantry with explosives, um, would be the easiest way to explain it. Anybody that's in the military is probably yelling at me right now. So it's way cooler than that. But, um, <laughs> and, and when I, I, when I got out of the army, I was actually getting, uh, migraines of a guy fired off a rocket and blew the hell out of me. And, uh, I did a podcast actually with, um, a guy I was stationed in Korea with that ended up, um, I guess he was a command sergeant major or anyway, very high ranking. I was yeah. amazed because we drank a lot in Korea together um, <laughs> that he actually made it through. So anyway, he actually strongly urged me when I was in to uh, to get out. He was like, man, you you know, you're good soldier, whatever, but you are you don't belong in the army. You need to go hunting. Right. And really? so when I was getting the migraines or whatever, he had kind of was like, man, um, 
you're destined to live in the woods. Like don't, you know, whatever. So anyway, uh, I got out of the army and I really didn't know what I was going to do. I worked at an archery range for a while. And then I ended up having a guy that came in that owned a, a large commercial glass shop. So high rises or whatever. And, um, he hired me, took really good care of me, uh, married with a kid. Right. And, um, didn't, couldn't really, you know, kids, right. Life. Yeah. Slow, oh, yeah. slow, especially when you're on a poverty level budget. Um, yep. Speeding this story up a little, I got divorced. Um, and when that happened, I was kind of like, okay, I'm going to do what I want to do. Um, and so what I had found was if you get to where you're so good at your job, they can't fire you. Like you can always be fired, but yeah, if you're valuable enough, you can take three months unpaid a year off and they kind of have to hire you back. Now you may not be at a high level, you know, you're probably going to give up some promotions and things like that. But if you're valuable enough, I could get away with a lot. There's so, always a job. Yeah. And so I was able to take you know, 60, 90 days a year off to go hunting. Um, obviously low budget stuff, I mean, over the counter, whatever. Um, well that went on for a while and, um, weird story. And I don't think I've ever told you this. I've talked about it on a podcast before I had decided I was going to quit construction like blind and find a way to make it in the, the outdoors. And and I have a lot of people that get a hold of me that say, Hey, I want to work in the outdoor industry. I'm like, well, what do you want to do? Like, I don't know what that that means. Yeah. Like, do you want to go work retail and sell back? Like, what do you want to do? And like, well, what did you want to do? And I said, look, I didn't want to work in the outdoor industry. That was the biggest difference and why I'm probably not the best person in the position I'm in. I wanted to be outdoors. Yeah. So there, big difference. So whether I was working as a guide or whatever, commercial fishing part of the year and then taking a time off, I just was like, I'm going to figure it out. The day that I was going to quit, I ripped my left bicep off in, at work. Oh, my well, gosh. I had never... Um, in construction. In construction. It was a big piece of glass, and I was wingspanning it, handing it to a guy in a scissor lift and just popped my bicep <sighs> off. And uh, I didn't... Um, I'd never been unemployed, and I'd never been injured. So I was like, well, how the hell does this work, right? Yeah. Having had run the shop before, I knew I needed to go take a piss test and the normal stuff, but I... I, I found out quickly that you go to rehab, um, like, uh, uh physical therapy for right. however, how much time. Well, I'm speeding this up. We got careful done. about saying rehab real close to a piss test. Yeah, no shit. Right? <laughs> um, You're talking about rehabilitating your arm from popping your bicep. Did you have to have surgery on it? Oh, it ripped it off. It was up in my armpit. Oh, um, and it was funny when I popped it off, it, you know, the guy that was in the scissor lift with me, uh, super uh, Adam Goldsmith, super close buddy, kind of a quiet d- dude. When I had set it down, you know, and at that time I was probably a pretty big dude lifting wise or whatever. He was kind of giving me crap about it. And I'm like, dude, I, 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 I fucked myself up. I was like, yeah. something's wrong. Yeah. It was snowing. He pulled my jacket off and and he started, it, it was, <laughs> it balled it up, coiled up in my armpit. Oh, yeah. And uh, I've seen it twice. Yeah. I didn't like it. No. Um, and so I was like, well, what the hell happens now? So I'm like, well, so I'm not quitting today. You know, I was like, holy yeah. cow. So went through physical therapy and uh, one, I wrote a lot of articles. I sold a couple designs like to, um, which I'm still under an NDA with that, but like sold some designs to other companies to just get some money coming in. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of working for Kafaro at that time, but very little money. You know, I was just helping out Patrick. So... Uh, when we got done, the lady and I had become friends from Pinnacle Assurance, this insurance company that handles okay. workman's comp. Um, she's like, okay, you're going to get released to go back to work next week. 
And um, she's like, so we need to go through the process. You, you get $15,000. And I'm like, me being probably overly honest, I was like, I'm healed. For what? Yeah. yeah. She's like, well, no, that's just how it works. If you, that's the dollar, you cut a toe off, it's this amount of dollars. And I was like, there's some matrix gonna, for this. You're going to pay me? I was like, <laughs> holy cow. So, uh, mm. <laughs> she was like, yeah, you get $15,000, but you get, I don't want to misquote this. It's been a while. Another 10, if you sign this piece of paper that says you'll never come back on workman's comp. So I'm trying to wrap my head around this. I'm like, so wait a minute, you pay me more money? Because I'm, how's this work again? She's like, well, (laughs) we have people, lazy people that will never come back to work and just milk it. You're signing that you'll never come back to workman's comp. And I'm like, but if I have problems, I can use my normal insurance. She's like, yeah, of course. Like your insurance will handle it. And I'm like, well, I need the money. I'll sign that piece of paper. And uh, I, I, I was nervous if I was going to get in trouble if I didn't come back to work because I didn't know legalities. I'm like, hey, if I don't come back to work, do I get in trouble? Of course, she's giggling, you know, like, what yeah. an idiot. Like, of course not. She's like, hey, uh, I probably shouldn't even talk about this because she get, get they looked, get in trouble. She's like, let me call you privately because they record all these conversations. I'm going to so call she, you from my cell phone. So she did, right? She called me on my cell. She's like, look, I'd be honest. I wouldn't go back to work for that asshole either. And I'm like, damn, my buddy, right? Yeah. Got buddy. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, well, he's fighting your claim. I was like, I, I was like, I lied to OSHA for this dude. I was like, what do you mean? Because <laughs> I didn't want to get him into trouble. So, and uh, you know, I'd run a lot of big jobs for him. Well, what it was is he was basically stating from my previous steroid use that I'd ripped my bicep off because yeah. of that. And I'm like, man, my buddy ripped his off shoveling snow, and he's a freaking. He's never seen the gym. I'm like. <laughs> And so they reevaluated me um, to see if there was any damage from b- taking steroids. And I hadn't taken them that long. So they, one thing was cool. They did a whatever on my shoulders. Because um, from shooting a bow, I was thinking maybe that was, right. especially I, at that time, I shot 90 to 100 pounds, had shoulders like an 18 year old kid. But I had some complications when they did the surgery they didn't know about yet when they dissected it more. Um, I think the bone suture was rubbing on the tendon. Something anyway, I got some more money from that. Oh, so, so then OSHA reinvestigated. I did not tell a lie on that go round because I think per OSHA it's fifty or seventy-five pounds per person for a lift. Well, I had taken a scissor lift, and anybody listening in has done this, I'm sure that's done construction. I cowboy clamped two by fours on the side so, of it, yeah, turned it into a forklift. Yep. So what had happened, he had underbid the job. Me being strong, working well, he should have been a four-man set. It was two. two. So you put a uh, glass cup, suction cup in the middle at the top. I wingspan it, herk it up. The guy in the middle grabs it, curls it. We get it on the forklift. I run up in the forklift. Instead of four guys, it's two. Right. Well, that piece of glass was 275 pounds. Holy so cow. When um when all that had happened, when OSHA re-investigated, you're not supposed to turn your scissor lift into a forklift, for one, and then two, the weight of the right. glass, all that. So I never came back to work, Um, and I got that money. So I had, between selling some designs and that money, um, maybe like 50 grand, I guess, to work with. And then my relationship with Pac- Patrick grew, and I right. started working more with, with Patrick, but... uh. I didn't really like have a plan, right? Like, you know, you watch on social media, there's all kinds of like motivational shit people need to function or whatever. And and I've had people ask me and I was like, my only plan was to just do epic shit. I just wanted to hunt, right? Yeah. I wanted to go fishing, hunting, live in the woods. 
And they're like, well, I mean, did you plan on being here? I'm like, I don't know if you just heard what I said. I had zero plan. Zero plan. Like, I just wanted to be in the outdoors. And by default, like, I didn't plan on anybody knowing me, right? I didn't. I didn't want to be insta famous or what I, I I didn't, which is probably why I'm in trouble. And a lot of people dislike, I talk a lot of shit. Um, you know what I mean? And I, I'm very blunt. And I, so I didn't like, you look at a guy, if you were quiet, right. And you just went with the flow, you'd probably be a lot better off than you would be than the route I went. Right. Cause <laughs> there's a lot of people that dislike me. Cause I do talk a lot of crap and, uh, but I didn't want to change who I was throughout all of this. And, and I would have, I would say I haven't, but I could have picked an easier road to, to walk down to do it. than the way I did it. Um, that's why, that's why you and I get to get along so well. Snyder's, you and I are both blunt. I just don't do it on social media because I have a problem with social media. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, th a lot of it too is like when you're like, I've tried to surround myself with people that'll tell you you're an idiot, right? Sometimes yeah. you need a yeah. buddy to be like, Hey, you know, whether that be your wife or a buddy, um, well then I kind of trans, I I'm the same way. And, and I've lost a couple of friends from that, not like horribly, but like distance themselves where I gave them my opinion, they didn't like it. And we kind of separated. But right. the, the thing is, is like when you do, and I'd be curious, like, you and Dan are, are both here. Dan, Dan's behind the camera. The longer you do this, in my experience, the more jaded you get. Yes. Um, and when I say jaded, I can't get on a social media forum right. ever anymore. Like I can't even read them, especially when I have to read about myself. And a lot of that is, is from Ike Eastman's experience, you have a high level or, or Dan Picard, a very high level of how to put an animal on the ground, how to run a company, what gear it takes, yeah. what bullshit you're seeing on yeah. social. So when you see that, you do have a lot of people now, you and I've made the choice. I just don't, I don't comment. Right. But then you have people that have chosen to comment. And sometimes those comments are not overly bright. Um, and, and for a while I felt compelled to respond to those comments. I don't do that anymore. And so <laughs> that, that burner was hot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, well, you just, uh, when somebody says, Hey, what gear do I need to go on a backpack hunt? I give them the gear and that's not up for debate, right? That's the gear that I feel you need. It's my opinion. You yeah. asked my opinion. I gave my opinion. Yeah. Why are we debating this? And when you put it on public forum, when that guy asks, then you put it on there to help him. Right. You have a lot of other people, um, comment in with very little knowledge. Yeah. Not everyone. There's some people who have a ton of knowledge, but some of the more higher level killers that I know don't do the social media thing, guys that I take advice from or whatever, or have a small social media following. But if you look at social media now, if you have a big following, 180,000 followers, and then you take a true killer that has a hundred and what, let's say 1400. Yeah. Nobody's going to listen to that guy with 1400 because public perception is the person with more followers knows more. Yeah. And it's, is. it's not the, it's not the case. And so I've had over the years to kind of wrap my head around that and, and evolve a little bit and uh, chill out as well, because it's just not really worth it. So like what you guys do and what I do now, I just post up the info and yep. post and ghost, just walk away. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't plan on getting to where I'm at and it, it, a lot of luck came into play. A lot of it was luck because you, 
there's not that many people get paid to hunt, right? You just don't. Um, and so it's hard. It's hard to get there. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's a tough road to hoe. And, and the one thing I have found that you appreciate, there's more loyalty. Um, I had a lot of people offer me jobs when I worked for Patrick to leave Kafaru. Yeah. The one thing I never forgot was I wouldn't have got those jobs, opportunities, you if it wasn't for Patrick. So I never left him. Yep. Um, no matter what happened or whatever, I would not have been in the position. I would have still been swinging a hammer, right? Yeah. And so I never forgot that. I think that's helped out. When I say loyalty, obviously, I mean, you you know, business things and different companies you use, that stuff changes all the time. But like someone that's truly helped you out, you you need to stay loyal to that person. And I think you guys have been screwed as much as anyone. Build oh, yeah. somebody up. It happens with three generations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you build somebody up. Then they leave you to the grass is greener. We call it, we call it people, you know, you did, you've done with Patrick, you did a really good job of remembering who bring you to the dance mm -hmm. and not, not, not bailing on the, you know, for the first shiny object. And, and that's really important. And in order to be successful in this industry, because as you know, it's a really small industry, yeah, a really small industry, <laughs> that's really important. And it goes a long ways, even with, yeah. you know, jumping from, you know, you were just talking about jumping from one sponsor to another or, you know, using this gear versus that gear. Those things happen. And sometimes they're a business decision. Sometimes they're a personal personal decision. You know, the company's taking a different direction or or the gear took a different direction or, you know, hey, this this just doesn't fit me anymore. Yeah, that stuff happens. But being loyal as as the nothing's changed you know if as long as everything's the same there's loyalty and and you have to like everything you have to do you have to maintain those relationships just like your marriage or just like your relationship with your kids and it's really important in this industry it is and i, I think the one thing that people because of how social media is i test a lot of gear yeah and so people people have gotten more used to it now but just because um Today I'm wearing a crispy boot. Mm -hmm. And then last week I was wearing a Zamberlin or, you know, whatever. It's like, right. hey, that last product I used wasn't bad. The way I work, if I'm talking about it, it's good. But I test yeah. a lot of products and relationships. And anyway, and it's like when someone, because of how the industry has worked, sometimes when you switch a product, it's a negative connotation to it. It's like, oh, that they paid that guy more or right. whatever. Right. And it's not always the case. Some, I mean, sometimes it's the case, but sometimes like it may just be, marketing has gone a different direction. Yeah. Um, and so like hypothetically I'm using brand X arrow. Right. Um, and their budgets get cut or whatever. You have a choice at that point. Uh, you know, for me, like, obviously I don't, I don't take a ton of money, but I have endorsement contracts with some, if that product is that good, I'll stay with it, you know, whatever. Right. But in reality, it's like, well, you know, if there's another product and that company likes me, there's a good relationship there. Well, why wouldn't I switch? Right. Um, or you or anybody right. else. Right. It yeah. just makes sense. So it's a weird deal because um, some of the things that I, I I see or or have seen over the the years, how, how marketing and social media and the perception of certain things, it, it, it kind of like. It's like bell bottoms, right? Like they were cool a while ago and they're coming back, right? And so there's <laughs> just wait, that stuff's coming back around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's well, and you, you even gear, um, w when you look at, uh, I don't know, what's, what's his name over there making fun of a six, five Creedmoor. Creedmoor. That's like, that's yeah. the man bun of the, I'm not a rifle guy. That's yeah. the man bun of the outdoor world now, I think, right? Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. but how many, 
when you think about it, like how many animals have died from 30 out six? Um, yeah, a lot. How often do you hear about a 30 out six? Almost never. And a 30 shiny object. No, no. And so, and as I say that I had a six, five PRC built for me because I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, Hey, what do I want? And they're like, you want a 28 nozzler? It's a barrel burner, six, five PRC. I'm like, whatever you think I'm an archer. Yeah. It works, but I don't shoot like people's going off the deep end here. Most people don't have the bandwidth, including myself to take a long range shot. Yeah. So if you ask a guy like, I don't know if you guys are familiar, buddy, my John Pinch, really good shooter, great hunter, whatever. If you ask John like, hey, man, I want to set up a brand new rifle, whatever, whatever. What's your farthest shot? 300 yards. And then he's going to laugh at you and say, shoot whatever you want. Yeah, like, you can shoot anything at that. A 308, right? Like, yeah, right. Like, and so some of those different things, there's like the, the tried and true um it's not new and shiny, so it gets overlooked. And and yeah. I've seen that happen a lot, especially designing gear. Like I have to make new packs, whether they're better or not. If someone thinks they're better, that's all that matters. But it's the new shiny thing. You've probably had to deal with that more than yep. anyone because you've been doing this a lot. Well, and you, you know, you get used to something. Archery equipment's a perfect example of that. You get used to shooting a bow, and then every year they come out with a new bow, and you go, well, that's just the same bow with different holes in the riser. Yeah. And yeah. So I'm not going to – I'm, I'm going to do it every three years because I'm tired of setting <laughs> bows up and getting used to them. Yeah. And if you're into tuning bows, like yeah. I love it. But if somebody said, hey, you need to go throw a rifle scope on this rifle, go bore sight it, get it dialed in, figure out your dopes – I'm like, man, why don't, you know what, why didn't you just give me a bottle of scotch and a handgun? I, that is not me. You know, I don't want to mess with that. And so like my, my, the rifle I have now, um, I don't clean it overly often rides yep. in the back of a can. It's a guide rifle. It's made for generally finishing off yeah. our dad specifically. They're tough animals. And I'll have people message me because of my presence. Hey, what rifle should I buy? I'm like, I have, I have no idea. I, I don't. <laughs> I am the wrong guy to ask. Well, I've seen you. You've shot some things with the rifle. I'm like, yeah, because I had to. Like, I'm not the guy. But yeah. because of the presence I have, I'm like, man, I can think of on a drunken stupor 50 people better than me to answer this question. Like, <laughs> I don't don't ask me, but because I have a following, people, yeah. you know, and you, I'm sure you guys get it oh, yeah. a lot. Yep. But, well, and I was, you know, I was a, to tease the the man bun of the rifles, and I, and I I am one of the first people to tease the 6.5, but I was one of the first people to shoot it on camera, honestly. Yeah. And yeah. I've been shooting it for 15 years almost, and yeah. and uh, it's, it is – you know, it is my go-to for, for antelope and deer just because I'm comfortable with it. I understand it. I have lots of ammo for it. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I like the, but I'm, there's, there's limitations to everything. It's not, it's not the one and done. I wouldn't shoot an elk with it. I just wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, uh, uh, what, where he makes fun of it about elk or whatever, but it's no different. Like, uh, Dan shoots a light arrow or yeah. I, I think you shoot a light, fast arrow. I shoot, what do you shoot? Yeah, so, so moderate. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like four seventy-five to, to five. And and so the thing is, is and a rifle's no no different for a lot of animals. Yeah. It really doesn't matter if you just hit them correctly. Right. And people, this is another thing that you run into on 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 social or whatever else is people worry about a lot of things that are very of very little importance in comparison to actually accuracy. Yeah. So they'll run a cut a chart to me of 30 different arrow options and vein configurations and all of these other things and 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 I'm trying to be as polite as I can. I'm like, how's your groups? 
like, what do you mean? I'm like, how are you as a shooter? Yeah. Well, and they'll tell me, I'm like, well, you, you know, you should probably just pick one of those arrows and then learn to shoot a bow, get a coach because accuracy and, you know, having that bow be an extension of your, of your body. Is, well, 80% is of accuracy is a human, is the yeah. human, is the human condition. Yeah. It's generally the, the, well, I can't say that cause I'll get in trouble, but yeah, it's the guy behind the bow. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, you know, with that, like when you're, when you're looking at, um, getting into the outdoors and this is something that I try to press upon people. There's nothing wrong with being fit, right? Fitness right. is good. Right. Uh, there's nothing wrong with having good gear. That's important. But if you rewind, right, let's say 30 years, like, you know, there was people getting it done with really subpar gear to today's standards. Um, nothing wrong with camo, but, but, you know, antiquated clothing, but they knew animal behavior, yes, right? They knew 100%. woodsmanship. And I, I get your perspective on that with the CrossFit, hurricane flipping tire thing over. And, and I work out every day. I'm like, I, I work out. I think people forget that actually knowing the animal is as important as anything else. Yeah. And, and you can, the time spent in the woods, uh, understanding animal behavior, understanding woodsmanship, like you called it is basically how drainages work, how wind works, how, you know, what, what to look for, you know, that animal's uh, behavior in this certain area. You and I were talking before we turned on about mule deer and you, and you were on his hunt and said that deer's, if that deer gets in that, you know, in the, in that chunk of timber, you're, you're screwed. They, yeah. he'll never come out of there during the daylight. And that type of stuff is, is you're way more suited for success. If you learn that stuff versus flipping tires, I'm not saying you can't flip tires and I'm not saying you shouldn't be in shape because getting there is half the battle, but you don't have to be able to run marathons. You don't have to be able to, you know, do 2,700 deadlifts to get there, to get it done. Because there was people, my dad's age that did it in blue jeans and, you know, a, a flannel shirt and they were killing, honestly, statistically, if you look at the Boone and Crockett, they're killing bigger deer, bigger yeah. elk. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I, bigger deer. I don't know about bigger elk. That, that's a whole definitely bigger deal. deer. Yes. Um, but you know, when, if, when people hear podcasts like this and I immediately get like that neat, like, like that n tooth nerve response. Yeah. It's like, man, there's probably something there on your side that you might want to think about. Cause yeah. if this comment, you know, like if somebody calls you, if I call somebody fat and they get super defensive, they're probably fat. <laughs> they probably are. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it, I make fun of myself about being, you know, recovering fat kid, but if it wasn't for fat shaming, I wouldn't be in shape now. Yeah. Well, if I'm, uh, let's say animal behavior shaming you, shaming you and, uh, you know, I, I look on your social and you got 75 gym selfies, but no time in the field. Yeah. You might want to take, and this is goes for me too. Like I've went down every rabbit hole you about could. And so, you know, if somebody's like, Oh, you're, you're arrogant about that. And it's like, take for it for the context it's in. I have screwed up so much that I'm helping you not screw up what I have. And I did the gym thing for a long time, worried about fitness. But the one thing that's always saved me is knowing where animals live and where they, right. how they behave. And a good example go into a high country basin with the most lush feed known to man. Depending upon the egress potential around that basin and a few other things, that doesn't mean deer will live there. No. You can't just have the food. If they got nowhere to run, they're not going to live there. They got to escape. Yep. And you can look at that from a map and, and see some of it, right? But like technology-wise, like uh, like Spartan Forge and Onyx, they're awesome software. 
but it has taken away that maybe um, field craft, uh, yeah. you know, woodsmanship portion of, of getting out there. Well, and, and, you know, to your point about walking in a basin and it looks like, man, this really looks deer. It doesn't mean there's deer in there. And honestly, people, one of the things that people overlook with, with animal behavior is they are, um, there's a, they think they call the uh, rose petal scenario where you know a, a doe takes her fawn into a certain place in the summer a certain place in the winter and that fawn will do the same thing over and over and over again so you could look at one one basin and there'll be zero deer in it and the next basin's chuck full because there's generation of deer in there yeah. and the first basin might be the exit plan might be if things go bad here we're going over there yep and and understanding that um, not beating your head against the wall going, well, there's nothing in here. There should be something in here and just keep moving around a little bit, yep. there's, you know, but everything's a pendulum. doesn't mean you go run around and blow every basin in, in the range out either. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, people ask that question and, uh, you know, on the high country deer thing specifically is like at a minimum, I want to give it a night in the morning, yeah. in the evening yep. in the morning before yep. I move. Yep. I have had way better luck in the mornings than the evenings, um, you know, seeing deer uh, for the most part. And, and, you know, the other thing too with that is like when, when, when you come from like out of state, when you said getting there has half the battle, the first time you get go, it might be more than half the battle because you may not get there. Right. right? And I, I get that. And I'm sure you, Hey, I I used to play college football. I'm going on a 14 day backpack hunt. I'm like, yeah, no, you're, you're not. You have, you have, you have the ambition to do that. Right. 14 days is a long time living yes. off your back. So it's like, hey, break her down to five days. You Start know, at three. Yeah, yeah, lower. Yep, 100%. And uh, come out for a day, eat a cheeseburger, yeah. shower, head back in. But what, what people have to you know realize, like getting there with an 80-pound pack or 70-pound pack is a lot more difficult than you realize yeah. until you get in the altitude and the terrain, lactic acid buildup. Well, then once you're there, if you're – done right and you can't move around and shift there's a lot of dynamics to it so you do need to be in shape and pace yourself or whatever but once you once you get there and and we see it a lot um you know where do i camp yeah well don't camp in the basin the deer live in that's that's bad yeah how far away from the deer do i camp how far away from the elk do i camp like that's you can't learn that from a book because every situation is different yes uh well and you you've hunted mistakes yeah, yeah, definitely instincts. And I'm, you guys have hunted all over the place. Every state's, you can get oh, away. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you hunt Pacific Northwest Roosevelt's, they don't blow out. Yeah. It's thick. They don't yeah. run that far. They don't you, have can, to. you can track them. You yep. can, you blow a deer out in, or an, a, an elk out in Colorado in the high country, it, 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 it you're done. You're still watching it run 20 minutes later. Like it's yeah. just a different scenario. Well, and even state to state, you go from Colorado versus Wyoming, and just because the terrain's different, the vegetation's different, the animal behavior's different because they react differently. You know, Colorado doesn't have wolves and bears. And so their, their reaction to a predatorial, um, uh, threat is completely different than, than it is in Wyoming or Idaho or anywhere else. And so those, that's just instincts. And the, and the only way you can get instincts is time in the field. Yeah. No, hundred, hundred percent. I think, uh, when you like with what we're talking about, kind of with the industry and things changing, what have you, even though you're interviewing me, what have <laughs> you seen? What have you, what, what are what are your opinions that has changed the most for you and the company in the last 10 years? Gear. Gotcha. And so, then, so here's, so here's what <laughs> I answered this question just recently, had this big in-depth conversation. Somebody said, why is it 
that if you look at the number of tags that are being allocated across the Western states, they're less than they were 10 years ago, but there's more hunting pressure. It seems like there's more people in the field. I said, there's two things. And we were talking about this earlier too, is somebody might draw a tag and him and his five buddies go hunting. Yeah, That's more people. That didn't happen 10, 15 years ago. Not yeah. as much. The other thing that's happened is gear. You know, we were just talking about a guy going in there 14 days, five days, three days. You know, 15, 20 years ago, before there was technical clothing, before there was technical, really technical boots and stuff that was built specifically yeah, for hunting, bags, sleeping whatever. bags, tents, backpacks, you name it. All that stuff didn't, you know, you were using handing down stuff or stuff that wasn't built specific for that. And so you weren't, it wasn't a comfortable experience back there. And now with technical gear, you can spend more days in the field which then if, you know, let's say you had a two week season 20 years ago, those guys drew that tag, but they might go in there overnight, maybe two nights, you know, a three day hunt. And then they're out, you know, burger, burger shower, maybe go back in. Maybe it was too hard because it, it was just an, a completely un, uh, uncomfortable experience. Now they go in there for four or five days. They've got mountain house meals. They weren't eating MREs. They, you know, they're, they weren't sleeping under a, a, a half-assed freaking bivy sack tent that leaked like crazy and condensated. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, all of those things, it's, that's one of the things that has changed a lot in the last 15, 20 years. Yeah, it, it definitely has. And I mean, even on the design portion of oh, yeah. what we do, like, you know, competition, obviously all, you know, whatever, uh, what's that? I can't remember. I'm screwing that up. We have to stay very sharp. One of the reasons why we moved here was expansion and right. R&D. And like, so we have to stay at the tip of the spear when it comes to durability, lightweight, all everything. Yeah. And so when you look at... <laughs> 10 years ago, let's say, uh, a lightweight pack 10 years ago or so, when I say a lightweight hunting pack right. was seven pounds or yeah. something. The average was like nine. Yep. Yep. You know, six, seven was pretty light. Yeah. You know, then fast forward now, you're looking at four to five, yeah. right? If and you're and, at six, you're in the average and you're, you know, there's people going, can't you make it lighter? Well, I mean, we eat shows all day long. Ah, it's a little heavy. I'm like, it's six pounds, 12 ounces. Like yeah. I've taken a shit that weighs half that. Like, are you kidding me? But <laughs> I have to remember like, okay, things have changed in materials. And the other thing too is um, the public perception uh, on the marketing side of things yes. is a big part of it. And so when you, when you look at um, like, how the hell did we pack an animal out without a load shelf? Oh, you couldn't do it, I guess. I yeah, mean, it was horrible. And so I, I, <laughs> I was like, like the load shelf thing now, like I have a 7,400 cubic inch bag. I had to change and sew a load shelf on. And I'm like, what are you doing with this? pack right yeah, like what, what what couldn't what couldn't you put in that bag oh yeah and and again public perception and, and and everything else of what you need or have to have and then you know one of the things we're all getting to trouble or, or whatever arrogance or whatever is is i'm like i pack out 40 to 60 animals a year yeah i cut the load shelf off my bag that I had to have sewn on, like we cut them off. I do. And I'm like, and I'm still packing all these. I've, I've obviously found a way. It's what I'm comfortable with. doesn't mean the way I'm doing it is correct. It's the way you're doing it though. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, it, but the perception of it is huge. And so you go back, think like you guys, what's that one from, you guys use mainframe, Everly stock. Yeah. Little shelf on that. Yep. Right. Yeah. 
pretty much all you had back in the day was like a camp trails kind of frame deal. Yeah. And, and Allison, that was what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And so now like it is a gift what people have now. Um, range finders. Oh my gosh. That yeah. is optics period. The biggest change I would say in the last 30 years was a range finder in the sense of like altered right. hunting. Right. And not just with a bow. Yeah. Like, I've, I've, you know, with a bow, obviously the first year that giant Bible of a Bushnell pro 500 <laughs> came out with the one eyeball. Like I remember, like, I, I, I think I roofed a house and helped put a deck in to afford one of those. One of those. It was at Walmart. Yeah. I killed an antelope that year though, because I needed a rangefinder. Cause you imagine now like out in the Eastern Plains, right? It's 57 yards. I, I don't think the Levi Morgan would get it right. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. and all of a sudden now I know, well, then I went on a sheep hunt with a buddy with this brand new thing. It didn't have angle comp and I didn't know about cut charts. It's like a 40 some degree angle and he's winging arrows seven feet over the back of the sheep. This yeah. piece of shit doesn't work. Oh, there's math. Jesus. We have to do math now? Yeah, exactly. So in the heat of the moment? Next thing you know, I'm gluing a clinometer on the side of my rangefinder, <laughs> running a cut chart on my forearm yeah. before they had angle comp. Now they have angle comp, yeah. but it's figured out off of the Pythagorean theory, I guess, or whatever. Yeah. Then that's not right after 22 uh, degrees and 70 yards. So now we have optics companies that, um, well, I, I worked with uh, a company last year to design. Well, you guys work with uh, SIG, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So SIG calls me. They want to come out with one. And I'm like, we got to run the math. So they have three dorks. Yeah. Run all the math. Now they have one that's as accurate as my clinometer mathematical yeah. cut chart. That's just in the last few years as yes. far as rangefinders go, where go back to you and your grandpa and your dad, 200 yards was... <clears throat> you you, do, you, do, you <laughs> didn't trust yourself beyond that anyway. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like the gear didn't do it. You didn't have a rangefinder that could do it. It, yeah. was, it was pointless. And, and it, you know, you, you talk about rangefinders. Let's talk about binoculars. Holy yeah. buckets. Just <laughs> binoculars now. Now you have binoculars. Sig's got binoculars. You can click the range through, you know, ranges, and then it adjusts your scope for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's just technology. And and where the end is, where the line is, I don't know. I'm not, I'm I, I have my own ideas and I and I'm willing to debate it with anybody, but I I I don't know. It is moving. Well, I can tell you like my my line crossed we the Gar Garmin Zero yep. that crossed the line yep. for me. One hundred percent, I agree with you. One hundred percent on that. Um, and uh, the it cro it's crossed the line with the the BDX systems for me when it drops the dot for you. And when I say that, I I, I think if you could if you could limit it to coyote hunting, yeah. I don't give a shit if you use yeah. one for coyote right. hunting. But when you hit that easy button, right, that takes away and where people get frustrated at this, where I look at it is the amount you learn you're missing, right? Yeah. Like you're missing time behind the rifle. You are missing the woodsmanship, the holdover, learning what you have to do, understanding the rifle or the bow. You're missing all of that, which makes you a better woodsman, better hunter. Yeah. And so you're skipping all of that. And so where that Garmin Zero, it's like, look, if you're down to using that, I get that's your deal. I'm not making a huge, but it's crossed the line for me. Yeah. Well, people are like, well, you have Swarovskis or Sigs or or pick it, right? Gore-Tex, right. whatever, right. cryptic. It's like, we, yeah, okay. I, I get kind of your argument, 
but it doesn't move my pin for me and shoot the animal for me. Like literally with that sight, yeah. it has taken any field craft away from the experience. BDX is kind of the same way for big game for me. Yeah. And you know, you can, you can go to the, to the next step and say, what, you know, where does the line stop? Is, is the rifle going to shoot for you is, you know, and, or you can go, well, you know, the other side of that argument is, yeah, the BDX moves the dot, but it's no different than your turret. You right. s- screw the turret down. Yeah. Okay. There's, there's th- what they've done is they have eliminated mis- their, the possibility for mistakes. And is that a line that's crossed? And everybody has to decide that for themselves, in my opinion. Yeah. I have my own, you know, long range shooting. What is long range to you may be different than, than me. And what does that mean? And, you know, the game agencies have some, there's, you know, the Boone and Crockett, the Pope and Young world have their own and, you know, everybody has to decide where they're at. And I don't think technology is ever going to quit, you yeah. know. At some point, we might be sitting here talking about, you know, a one-pound backpack. I don't know yeah. what that looks like, <laughs> <Yeah>. but, <laughs> I mean, yeah. wh- where where's the end of it? I don't know. Well, and I mean, coming from a position of going from the compound to the recurve for the right. last five or six years, um, and then, you know, this year I'm shooting a compound. I was going to say, I thought I saw wheels on your bow this year. Yeah, I, I, I can tell you two primary reasons. One, I'm getting old, uh-huh. um, and it takes a lot more effort. So I had people message me this year. Man, you, you you need to get out of the office. You're in the you're not in the field enough. And I'm like, look, I hunted five days, I shot four animals. That's the compound. Yeah. There's not a nine day yeah. stick bow saga going along with this. And the business is one of it, you know, but but the other is beat, beating up my body. Four I, I mean, two mule deer hunts of mine, one went fourteen days, one went twelve. I had to go back, get more shit and come back in to kill a deer with a stick. I would add one dead on day one, two or three with the compound. With the compound. Now w- what I learned, though, my biggest thing was the takeaway from that is obviously I had to become a lot better hunter. You know, all the people that were giving me crap that made me prove a point with the stick was you're using technology, whatever. Right. They were all correct, right? I was definitely to a certain degree. Right. But then I, I sh- you know, I proved my point and I'm like, you could do it with a stick bow. But it also made me really look at like what's important and what people worry about a lot more than I had before, meaning guys worrying about... <laughs> I don't, whatever you can pick at different setups and technology or whatever else, there is something to be said is just get your ass closer. Yeah. Right. And with rifles, like the long range thing, I have really good friends that are into long range shooting and, and they're very good at it, very capable. But I also watch some of the things. Oh, I don't want to piss too many people off here. Different companies that have the, we're going to sell you a range finder. We're going to sell you a rifle, walk out in the field range. You're good out to 700. Yeah. Me being a guide for some of those guys, that is not true, right? There is Correct. a skill set behind it. And if you would have dialed that gun in yourself, if you would have learned to run a ballistic turret, you probably or maybe could take that shot. Right. But since you skipped all that shit, now you're maybe not at the skill set you need to be to take that shot. In, in, uh, it's the easy button, right? They skipped all the hard parts. So do you, think, do you think that's one of the attractants to um, – archery hunting. And then that's one of the reasons why there's guys, you know, there's been a a resurgence of stick bows of trad bows because guys are just honing that woodsmanship stalking ability and, and wanting to, you know, get rid of some of that easy button. Do you think that's happening? Somewhat. Um, yeah. And I think some people are just tired of jacking with the technology in general, meaning, you know, they, they want a simpler, 
um, simpler system. They don't want sites oh. or whatever else. I think that's some of it. What I have found though, is if I took, I'll take Dan, for example, and I don't know, Dan, I think I met you one other time and I watch you on social. I give Dan a recurve. I promise you he's killing shit. He's yeah. a killer. It's also false hope for people that maybe struggled with a gun, a compound. The stick is definitely not going to help. No, it's going to make it harder. But you will learn more, right? Yeah. You will, you will learn, you will learn animal behavior because before when I was at 50 yards, I would just shoot it. Yeah. Well, I may be stuck now at 50 yards for quite some time to watch animal behavior. You know, I'm right. going to watch what they're doing. Stalking patience, right? Like before 40 yards, hang back, stands up, shoot it. Now I'm looking 20 or yeah. in. So that, that all changes, but there are certain people, no matter what you hand them, they're going to be very capable and be able to do it. Not everybody, you know, if you're picked last at four square, I don't want to pick up a recurve unless it's just for fun, right? I mean, that's just maybe life. tetherball is your, is your well, game. It's just like, what does Bart Lancaster say? Every uh, all men were born professional dart throwers, but some just don't make the cut. Yeah. Like you, you just some people just aren't aren't um, you know hand eye coordination or whatever. That doesn't mean you shouldn't enjoy the sport. You shouldn't get out there, but. If you're going to take go from rifle to compound, you're gonna have to get closer. You're gonna have in, to lose the woodsmanship. In its yeah, it's woodsmanship and it's honing that instinct. Yeah. And you know, Dan and I had this big long conversation recently about just those instincts. And it's not overnight. You can't read a book and have instincts. You can't watch a TV show or a YouTube video or listen to a podcast and have instincts. You gotta get out there and get it done. Yeah. And the more times you mess up, the more things you learn. As long as, and I tell my employees, I tell my kids this. I love mistakes. Absolutely love mistakes. The The problem I have with mistakes is when you don't learn from them yeah. and you do it again. Yeah. No, and that's 100% true. And I mean, we, you know, obviously, like, I spend way too much time guiding down on the border of Mexico with my, my, my buddy, my partner, Scotty, for, for our dad. But it's a target-rich environment. You learn a lot, right? Yeah. You're on lots of stocks. They're hard to kill, but you see a lot of them. And people will come down there, and uh, it's kind of an ongoing joke. We have to learn real quick if I'm taking them or Scotty, right? <laughs> um, because I, uh, they made a meme about it with this Yellowstone deal, something about pushing horses and Rip's like, well, I, fuck it. Like, we'll just run them down the hill. That's me yeah. on a stock, right? Without dad, like Scotty. Will We're out of choices. Stuff. Fuck it. Then. Yeah, yeah. Scotty's like, if you go in there and you're going to have 15 to 20 stocks a day, you're going to be wound for sound all day long. You're going to have high pressure shots and it may not be good for you. You go with me, I'm going to get you one very, very good shot, right? Yeah. Everything's um, going to be perfect. Yeah. Like Scotty will wait where I'm, I kind of run it. I'm, I'm more aggressive. The thing with that, you have to no animals, right? You, one, you can't do that on deer, right? You'll, yeah. you, you, th th you'll never get another shot. Right. Certainly can't do it on right. like a big horn. But without dad, I'm like, well, I, they're not leaving. You know what I mean? Big Elk ranch, with a bow, right? you can do it though. You're oh. like, well, that one didn't work. Let's just keep, keep going. going. Next basin over, there'll be another bull that's over there screaming, being dumb too. And that with a hundred percent. And that is part of also knowing your parameters. And yes. that only comes from experience. So yes. you get on a giant deer in the high country, and uh, with pressure, I get it. You may have to push, push the situation. Rather than pushing a bad wind, you better just hang back, keep yeah. your eyes on him, and wait for a better day. Because yeah. once he's gone, he may be gone for four or five days or ever. Um, yeah. Once he drops in the timber, he's archery wide. He's gone. Right? right, You're not getting him. And I've seen people do that where they get so close, sub-100 yards, and the wind's a little swirly, and they do not have – it's like having a naked chick in front of you not sleeping. Or, <laughs> it's hard to back out, right? And it's like, look, I've, I've texted guys. That, 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 that toothpaste is out of the tube. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's like back out, back out, and, and that adding adrenaline and whatever. Yeah. Well, 
you blow that thing out a couple of times, I guarantee that third time you've learned, you've touched the stove, like mm -hmm. you better back out. Yeah. Well, when I give advice, especially when I sound like a smart ass or whatever, it's because look, I've done that a lot, right? And that yeah. cone of shame for the mile hike back that you didn't kill anything, you're only going to make that walk a couple of times each time when you learn from that, yeah. you're going to become a better hunter. And that's whether we're talking about lowering like technology wise, um, I would say like where I see it, like optics, you're still going to go out and get it done with optics, but you're probably going to have some with crappier optics. Yeah. You're probably going to have some migraines, not to see as much, yeah. um, you know, things like that. Your, but your, your evenings are going to end quicker. Your mornings are going to take longer. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Probably like 30 minutes compared to some, but yeah. when you, when you get to other technology that makes a huge difference, like people get all wound up about mechanical broadhead. Oh yeah. You know, people get wound up. Lighted knocks was the big one. Truly those things aren't that big of a deal in comparison to other parts of technology, range finders being, yeah. you know, big one or, or ranging sites. But what have you seen change? Cause it's fu funny bouncing this back and forth. Business-wise, like business in 10 is, years. Oh, my gosh. The way that we consume content now is so much different. Yeah. I mean, podcasts, social media, you, you can't go anywhere and there's not somebody sitting on their phone flipping through Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever, TikTok yeah. or whatever the next thing is. <laughs> and so how we consume content and uh, is completely changed. And, and honestly, you know, I... I struggle. One of the things I struggle with is authenticity. You were talking about a person that has a hundred thousand, you know, Instagram followers versus somebody that has fourteen hundred. That does just that doesn't mean they're authentic, and that doesn't mean that that what they do is true, and that doesn't mean that you can actually learn some from something, something from them. And I think people, you know, rely on social media a little bit too much. Um, I, I do I do see that there is positive things. Um, for instance, YouTube has opened up the hunting industry to a whole new group of people that it, that would have never ever been exposed to it otherwise. Um, I, and I think it's a positive thing. And I think, you know, like it, so I, I got this question asked to me, we did this round table at, at, um, on X at their public, their, uh, employee meetings, like 400 employees sitting there just shooting questions at us. And one of the first questions I got was, how do you think, can, uh, how do you think social media uh, affects hunting? Is it good or bad? I said, well, you can't say that. Yeah. What? Because I don't care what it is. It can be used for bad. I could take my boot off, who, which I rely on to walk across a gravel parking lot, and I can beat the shit out of you with it, and it became a weapon. It's a bad thing. Social media yeah. is the same thing. You can learn some some awesome stuff from authentic people, but you can also go down a rabbit hole where you shouldn't be, you know, you shouldn't be following that person. Or you shouldn't be listening to that person or you fall into a, a, you know, a trap where you're, it's just a giant gossip thing. What's not consuming positive. your life. Yeah, yeah. It's consuming your life. So anything can be used bad and anything be, can be used good. So I'd say that's a big one. Um, the other thing with business is, I th you know, our industry is, has gone through, hunting industry has gone through a very unique change recently in the last five, six years. And you've seen this. Patrick, you know, those guys, Dana Gleason, my dad, that age group kind of, they held our generation off from being inside the industry, you know, not running the companies and understanding it. And then they all retired. Yeah. And left this giant sucking hole. And so now you have younger people in here, which is good. Young blood's great. But unfortunately, they're they're making decisions that they don't, you know, they don't really have the instincts in business to make. Yeah. And, and that's that's been a big thing for us. 
Yeah, the the one thing like looking, especially knowing your your family and, and following along far before I met you, you back in the day, your grandpa was one of the ones pioneered yeah. uh, video, right? Yeah. Hunting videos. So you had that, right? And then, you know, you had print and, yep. uh, you know, then as time went on, you had social media, right? Yep. Or, or forums, excuse me. Right. Then forums, then you had social media. Yep. Then, and and I will say, um, I, I, a buddy of mine, uh, Avery, Ryan, it rocks like mm-hmm. Ryan. Yeah. He told me years ago, he says, I guarantee podcasts are going to take over yeah. everything. And he was like, you know how you have XFM, you're going to have podcasts. And he was like, that will become the primary source of all information. And me only have listened to the Rogan podcast. Right. So, you know, little did I know I would be one of the, the podcast guys. Cause that time I yeah. hid from everyone. I didn't like, I still don't, but I have to, whatever. <laughs> so now, you. yeah. So now you've got Forums aren't as big. There's still shit talking on forums or whatever. And 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 print's gone down, probably more for whitetail hunters has gone downhill from my perception than Western. Yeah. The 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 whitetail side, I think print took a big hit. Yeah. Um, but but Western, I don't think it took it as bad. But when that happens, you, you guys adapted, get podcasts and whatever, all this yeah. shit you guys do. Well, what's next, right? Like people are like, what do you think's next? I'm like, honestly, I think one, a pay to play is going to be a lot bigger yes. soon. Um, like we're looking at doing like on our page, well, we'll have you guys be involved on some of this stuff, but the Kafari University. Yeah. So if there's info where let's say like Dan's talk, cause I'm big into archery, Dan's got a huge, you know, uh, video on something that I'm just, okay, this is good. Like call you guys. Hey, can we put that ours with the link to yeah. your site to where then, you know, I don't want to argue about this shit. Right. Like just come find it on our page and you can email me if we want to talk. But like, I don't know. And I'm using Dan. He's more of a bow hunter than, than, than you are. So like if, if Dan's shot, 50 animals in the last five years. Yeah. You probably should listen to Dan, right? Yeah. I mean, okay. So when you get on, when we were talking like with the forums or whatever, especially when you talk about penetration and blood trailing and things like that, I have found it difficult for me to have communication with one guy who shot one doe and have a conversation with him. Rather than getting into that argument, the pay to play, get on to learn. You've got skin in the game now and you are here to learn, not to argue, not to stir up shit, not to troll. I think it's going to start going that way. Are you? Yeah, I 100% agree. And that's why we, you know, Dan was uh, part of our, part of his, um, you know, passion was teaching people. He's really good at it. And he came to, he and Brian Barney came to me recently in the last couple of years and said, Hey, we want to, we want to, we want to write a book, but not write a book. Yeah. Like, I don't even know. What, what are you saying? And so they came up with what we call the mule deer course and yeah. it is online learning. It's a hundred bucks and you get on there and there's hundred and some hours worth of video and content on how to hunt mule deer from A to Z. And they have my brother on there talking about the rifle side of, they go through gear, they go through behavior, all of that stuff to get those guys, uh, to get the, the beginner can learn everything or a guy can learn two or three things that, you know, I'm a pretty good mule deer hunter, but I want I wanted, you know, Dan killed a huge deer. Brian's killed a huge deer. Guys killed a bunch of big deer. I can learn something from them. Yeah. And that's that you're right. That's the next thing. And then I think, honestly, I think the next beyond that is live events where you get 50 guys into a, into a group and you learn something very intentional, very intense, very quick. We're, we're executing that now. Like we have a glassing camp that we're doing here and, you know, we charge quite a bit for that camp. Um, it's intensive, but what, what I want to see, especially, um, 
with with what you're talking about on those paid events is um, I call you guys and we do one and yeah. we set it up. Okay, now, you know, like I'm not like I'm not a trophy hunter, and we, which we make jokes about, but I'm a good gear guy and I got real good field craft, right? And right. so I'll stick with that, right? Like, you know, I don't, I don't dive into my other lanes and I'm going to hand it off to you for right. whatever. And then that way, again, there's, there's skin in the game. And you, you also, once if I think once when some, when it's almost like being homeschooled yep, compared to a large, you know, whatever for a, you know, giant school, yep. you're, you learn more when you're homeschooled, right? Or we have a tutor when you come to that and then you learn that way, you have been learning from a forum or from social, then you come to one of those events. I think that, well, I know it's, it's an eye opener for yeah. people. It's a big eye opener. And not only that too, it's like, um, when, when you, um, how would I, I um, there is no drama in yes, that. So exactly. that's another part of it. Yeah. It's very <laughs> drama free and it's very learning because everybody had to pay to get there. So they're very intentional. They want to get their money's worth. Yeah. And again, dinner afterwards, throw yeah. back some beers, family, you know, family, you know, more. Exactly. Cause I, I think family Sloan Brown, he just brought this up on a podcast, but the one thing I'm not a big crowd person, you know, I don't like shows, but I like the family aspect mm-hmm. of this. I, I like that at the end of this seminar, we'll all sit down, bullshit, tell stories or whatever. You know, it's not the same on right. social. And and you see on social the best of someone. Yes. And it's a lie. Um, yes. Yeah. And, and when I say the best, whether that be wounding some shit, missing some shit, or your life, right? Yeah. Like. That I know family vacation wasn't that cool. Well, I, I know three different couples right now not doing well. And on social media, I'm like, <laughs> you guys 100%. look perfect. I'm yeah. like, holy cow. And so I try to, on like on my social media page, post the good and the bad and make fun of myself, whether it's I'm having a fat month and I probably should have dieted or yeah. I just wounded something, explain what happened, how I fixed it or missed or whatever. You don't get that. Um, you don't get that a lot. Like it's, it's, I think that's one of the things that's appealing to that, that why you have a huge following and is appealing about you is you're very authentic and, and, and almost raw authentic. And, and it's got me in I trouble. Think, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and honestly, I would love to be that way. I took a different road and decided that, that I, I, I don't voice my opinions very often because yeah. uh, I am extremely blunt. As you know, you used yeah. to call me the, the, the funniest blunt person you met. Yeah. I used to be really, really blunt and I got slapped a couple times, uh, a couple times physically and a couple <laughs> times just uh, socially or, or verbally and decided, you know what, maybe that's not the best thing. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's true. And I, I don't like, I posted, um, you know, where it's got like the chimp and it goes into the, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Where I, then the guy turns around and goes, yeah, we fucked up. We got to go. Yeah. <laughs> I lost like, we looked, I think I lost now I gained 160, but I think I lost 90 followers that day. <laughs> and and I'm, I have a fairly broad sense of humor and also fairly jacked up. Right. So, you know, for on, on, on my end with that is I just pretty black and white. You, you got a wiener. Yeah. You, you got a vagina. Yeah. All right, right. Move on. Right. Okay. Well, <laughs> I should signs not, on bathroom doors have been doing it for decades. Yeah, well, I, I should not. For me, it's just funny. It's something I'd say in camp or whatever. People take that shit a lot more serious than I realized, right? And so I'm like getting like like a full on like a thesis of how I'm wrong, and I'm like, it was just a meme. Yeah, it's like it's a Jesus, joke. yeah. And and people take it serious. I had another one that got me in trouble where it was a big big fat dude on the forklift. Uh, driving back from getting, um, his third vaccination, uh, big, you know, cause yeah. my big stance that got me in trouble on that was, um, 
obesity is a, a big one in the world today, right? right? And that more people die from that. And, and me, too, a can of Copenhagen a day. I don't see anybody protesting that. Yeah. Uh, might get my jaw cut off. See, everybody's fine with it. <laughs> and then the COVID thing happens and it's like, I never got the vaccine myself. And, you know, and if you wanted to, great. I don't, I don't give a shit, right? But I was like, man, maybe we should focus on fitness, right? Uh, more than health and fitness, right? Dieting. Right. And uh, so that got me in some trouble posting that. I had a lot of hate mail from that one. And I'm like, look, I am just saying from an outside perspective, I am not a doctor. Um, no one knows about this that hasn't been tested long enough. And we have found there's some adverse reactions right. to the yeah, vaccine. They're, yeah, they're dealing with it right now. Most of the, when you have multiple comorbidities, you know, I don't want to get into all this, but a lot of fat people died. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bottom line, right? And so I'm like fitness. So, hey, why don't we start, you know, instead of all this money we're spending on things that may be not important, maybe we should give free gym memberships and they continue as you go and maybe some D free dieting, right? And yeah. focus on that. Fuck, that got me in trouble. Like, <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm just not going to answer anymore. Like, this is not worth it because my view on this is obviously not the same as others. Like, I had a didn't have a mask on um, after we moved, driving through Denver. Um Went into a uh, vitamin cottage. They have these peanut butter bar things that okay. like your whole, whatever they call it, natural grocers. Yep. Some big hurricane. I mean, fuck ass crack coming out of the front of her shirt. Shirk. I, I like, I have cankles, man. And I didn't have a mask on and she is screaming at me. And, uh, you know, I'm giggling a little bit, you know, I'm like, right. and I'm trying not to, you know, say, I'm trying to be professional, right? And I was like, Ma'am, I, I you got a lot of problems. That mask is <laughs> not, not fixing. Yeah, you. it's not the mask that's gonna save you. And and that's gotten me, you know, if you want to wear a mask, by by all means. You know, I don't care you can hunt and peek underwear with a slingshot. If that's what makes you happy, <laughs> don't force that shit on me. And so that got me in a lot of trouble. And I'm staying at that was that monkey post was the last one. I'm not fucking with this whole gender thing. I don't have time. Uh, but you're from Wyoming, right? Like it's a different place here. Yeah. It really is. We we never did the mask thing. Our kids were only out of school for like a month and a half. I mean, it was COVID really didn't affect our state. And uh, you live actually this county was the worst death, and it was very minimal. More yeah. people died from drunk driving in this state than than that. And yeah. I mean, it's it is what it is, and yeah. and I'm glad it's gone, and I'm glad that we're moving on, hopefully. But well, I, when I drove to uh, Arizona to hunt, I would drove through a, a Indian reservation, which I didn't know it's still a big thing. Oh yeah, and uh, I saw a sign on the window, but I didn't pay attention to it. Uh, it's obviously serious there because they started yelling at me, and I was like, I thought we were past this shit, right? <laughs> I like, thought that was 2020. So I did, this is 23. You no, know, I did the shirt over my yeah, that didn't fly. They kicked me out of the store. I'm like, well, I guess I got a ways before I can you know buy a water. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and those are the things where I just need to stay. You kind of have to have to make a decision, like Trump Jr. Yeah, meme war king, right? Yeah. Like, I, my thing, I need to keep my employees employed, right? I need to keep producing good products, yes. right? Focus on American made, all that stuff. And, uh, and not, not post fat dudes on forklifts. Cause it's just not, uh, while funny, it's really not really worth my time to argue. So, so, so let's talk about it. So you guys moved here to, to, to Wyoming from Colorado, moved to Wyoming. How many employees do you guys have? Are you, are you 43 hoping? 43 right now. And you're hoping uh, closer to 90 I would in say next in the year? next year. Yeah. You know, it depends on honestly the, the building. Like right. we've filled this up fairly, you know, quick. Um when we've got a lot of new stuff coming out. Um 
you know, as well, that'll take up some space. But like what we're, we're hoping to have a minimum of 20 more sowers in the next year, if things go smooth, you know, 40. And then obviously that things kind of ebb and flow on what else we might need and things like that. So let's talk, let's talk about Kfar real quick. So you guys are American made. I mean, we walked through this building and there's people sewing stuff and there's, you know, they're, they're shipping the backpacks from here and the whole nine yards. What's, you know, what's the mission statement? What, what do you guys stand for? What, if I was at home thinking about a new pack, what would, what would differentiate your brand? I mean, there's a lot of great brands, don't get me wrong, but you guys have uniqueness is what's, what is that? So like uh, the the mission statement, if I had to like, you know, church it up to what I had to type out was, uh, you know, Kafaru International's mission is to create jo- jobs for Americans. I'm screwing this up. I had time to type it out. Create Ameri- jobs for Americans with all America made backpacks, you know, whatever, whatever, all that. But truly what we want to do is employ as many Americans as we can and keep everything sewn here in the United States. So when I say that, that's needle, thread, zippers, buckle, everything, except our t-shirts and hats. We don't, Yeah. we, we need to find an American company that can make a hat that looks yeah. worth the shit. But uh, yeah. so, you know, we, w- with this, we've been doing this for like 30 years, basically. Um, we haven't wavered from that, but with that, um, you know, mission statement and our, our views and then, you know, the, the way ahead, it is getting more difficult, right. To sew things in the U S. And one of those things is when you look at it is, um, I'll have people post about how patriotic pro American they are. Yeah. And then, uh, they look at the price tag. Right. And I get it. Right. And, and, but we don't want to change from that. And so we just need to, you know, keep doing our thing and, and stay in your lane. Stay in, yeah. Cause we don't want to go overseas. We've actually, we looked into it a few years ago and it just felt, I say dirty, but it just felt like selling the American flag, right. American yeah. made and then going overseas. And we did it cause we were just worried price, right? Like right. it's expensive to sell yeah. here. I'll give you an example. We sent, um, you know, nothing wrong. I mean, whatever, like you, you I get it, right? It's expensive. It is, uh, was 48% less wow. to have the pack sewn overseas. Jeez. So, significant difference. Well, you know, back in, during Trump's administration, there it was becoming more and more difficult to have stuff built overseas. And so I was talking to a lot of manufacturers, what's the deal? Is it better? Is it not better? And, and did some, we actually did some research on it with our own audience and they say they'll pay 20% more, but that's not a hundred percent true. A, yeah. a portion of them will, but most of them, even though they're, I, I American made no matter what you don't really, Yeah, you say you would until yeah. if you did, Walmart wouldn't be Walmart. Yep. Yeah. No. And I mean, I can, whoops, sorry, I can say like, um, the clothing company that I'm working with now, like we're mostly sewn overseas. Yeah. And uh, so they'll do some boosted post and people, where's it sewn? Where's it sewn? Where's it sewn? It's not sewn in America. Not buying it. And then I'll look at their pick profile. They've got Nike shoes on. Total yeah. anti two, anti-hunting, yeah. very liberal, very left wing. Right. They're wearing a pack not made in the United States. They're whatever. Now, I don't comment on it, but I'm like, that is the monster I have to compete yeah. against, right? And 100%. We, with that, you know, obviously, like, people say, well, what kind of phone do you use? Motherfucker, there's no American-made cell phones. They don't exist. Yeah, they don't exist. Oh, is all your... I have a Ford, you got a Dodge, right? Oh, yeah, is that all made in the U.S.? I'm like, you know what? I don't know, but they're not my sponsor, right? Right. I I do have to get from A to B. I'm not taking a rickshaw to work, right? So... 
that Ford, um, from the values of the people I know at Ford, one of the reasons I drive a Ford is I like those values. Dodge is the same way. Now, is some of the shit from overseas? Probably. Yeah. I'm going to pull the fucker apart and look at the name tag, right? I, I mean, I have to have a vehicle. So, but the thing Throw the truck are, out. The mats are made in, in, <laughs> yeah, in Taiwan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Indonesia. But if you, you look at, let's say, some of the more things that are controllable, your weapon, right? Right. Your optics, right? And when I say that, I mean... When I say the optics, even if the optics are sewn or sewn are built overseas, what are, is the company's stand? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. So, like, if they are they very pro military? They're very pro two A. That is a big part of it yes. as well. So that's kind of what I look at. Um, you know, when people are asking me that, you know, the different things, my views on this, because, you know, I use a lot of MSR stuff. Mm-hmm. Are they anti-pro hunting? They seem kind of neutral. They hide. Right. I can tell you right now, you go to Arcteryx, even though they're a big tactical supplier, they are farther left than they are to the right. Yes. Um, and so Patagonia, another one. Uh, Patagucci. Um, and and I've I've made statements that have gotten me in trouble where I'm not, I don't even want to bring it up now, but a specific stove company yeah. that everyone uses. And it's like, South didn't believe me. And I'm like, look, dude, I went to the OR show and they about kicked me out of the booth. Right. South went to that booth. He's not running that stove anymore. Yep. He called me, he goes, dude, I could not believe it. You're right. Yeah. And I was like, just because they sell the hunters, they like hunters' money. Yeah. They are not using that to help hunters. They are 100%. not using that for convert, con, convert conservation. So some of the things as we're diving down this rabbit hole that have enamored me lately and made me think is – as hunters, we will focus on one specific thing, like what's the newest? I don't even want to bring it up. I did a podcast with Josh Bomar, right? Okay. And the poaching thing and all oh, the yeah. crap he went through and what he actually played. And I just asked him some, it was very awkward for me, questions. There was more traction from that than wolves coming to Colorado. Which is that crazy, is really right? insane. So whether he was guilty or not, whether you like the guy or not, like whatever, the amount of hate that went towards him, and rightfully so for some of it. No one really gave a shit about what's happening in Colorado right now. That's really affecting everybody's everyday life in the hunting industry. Right. Josh Bomar, if you don't want to see his buff ass, you know, I don't like Chinese food. I don't, I I don't go pick it. Right. You know, I just don't go to the grocery, I don't go to that restaurant. Right. So it's, I get it. You know, there's some talk there whatever. And, but it's like, Hey, we're focusing all this attention on, on that or, pick whatever else yeah. Yeah. rather than like what's most important to well, me. Well, and I, you know, you know, Butch Whiting, he yeah. and I recently had this big, long conversation about Butch Whiting from Cryptic. He and I had this big, long conversation that, that you have to pick the brands that you're going to support to step behind. And are they all American made? Not all of them, yeah. but at least they're pro, you know, they're patriots, they're pro 2A, they're pro constitution, you know, they're God family country and, and stand behind those brands. Cause that's what your beliefs, if that's your beliefs, if yeah. that's not your beliefs, you know, go, go support Patagucci or whatever yeah. brand that is, but support the brands, be mindful and conscious of that. Yeah. So what do you guys think, or what are you guys doing as far as, uh, Kafaru, um, new innovations, new things that, that are coming down the pipe? Uh, obviously it's constant. You can't stop. We talked yeah. about that already. It's, so this is kind of bring up maybe an analogy. Cause like, you know, Patrick was a pioneer. Yeah. He got old and he kind of got complacent. Yeah. Right. And you know, in the seventies. Yeah. It's going to yeah. happen to me. I'm going to yeah. hide in the next five. So, um, <laughs> that, that 
in, in that time, the building was smaller, whatever. So we got passed on some things, um, you know, whether that be like now we're not the lightest or whatever and, and or we're able to expand now that we've moved. Right. Yep. We we did that for a reason. Um, I tried to explain it like like if you're into photography, um, Canon led the world for a long time. Right. Sony came on strong and, and technically probably passed them. Uh, if you read any of the articles about that, the the, the higher ups at Canon were like, "Hey, it's expensive to be innovative. We innovated for a long time. We're hanging back. Now they've come back and just started crushing right, everyone. Right. That's our plan, and it's we're executing it very well. So I, I can't go into great depths, but like, no. you know, obviously on my end, I want to be the lightest, most durable backpack again, and and we should be in the next six months. Um, things like bino harnesses that people have asked us to do. And, and I think we can make better. And some of the innovations we have from tactical friends of ours that can integrate stuff, we're going to be able to do that now where we couldn't before. Um, the biggest thing, the catch-all with this is the American-made part of it. Yeah. There are things we cannot do here. We can't build shelters at a high capacity with American-made fabric here. And when I say that, people bring up other companies. It's like, yep, you, you kind of can, right? And if we only did shelters, we could. But when I say shelters, I'm not talking about floorless shelters. Mm -hmm. You can't, I, to my knowledge, you cannot build a high-end dual wall tent in the United States. It's not legal through the EPA and everything else that you have to get licensed for, right? It, well, some of it's that, and then some of it's just they don't do it, right? Yeah. They don't. They don't. So do we? Do we start a tent manufacturing line here? Well, we're going to have to hire people from overseas to do it, right? You yeah. got to have somebody who knows what they're doing. So some of the stuff we're going to have to figure out as we go. Because I would like, like, bivvies and stuff are easy. I would like to do tents. I don't know that we can do it and stay here. Right. Now that's going to be like up to public opinion. Like, hey, are you guys going to flip out if we come out with a shelter made in Myanmar or whatever right. that we designed? Because we can't do it here. But I don't want to take a black eye from that to make that decision, right? right? right. But the backpacks, the jackets, all the sleeping bags, all that's going to stay here. But w again, with technology kind of catching up with some of my designs, I think in the next six, eight months should be a really good eye opener. It's just we had to like three years basically kind of state. I mean, we came out with new packs or whatever, right. but there was just certain things we couldn't do. And size was, you got to figure we've gained by 11,000%. Um, we, we've, we've 11,000. We are 11 to 12 times bigger than we were when I started. Wow. So it's hard to keep that fucking train on the tracks. Yeah. And uh, let's face it, I am... In um, a move in the middle of that. In, in a move, yeah. So when I say that, that's not in the last year. Since 2012, we are 11 to 12 times bigger than when I started. You're doubling every year, basically. Yes. Um, and with that, that was with huge constraints and a very small marketing budget. And, and it, this is just and a lot of learning on my part, right? And I still screw up. Like, I think not paying attention, I'll give you an example. One of the products we have out there, we have three years of... Uh, of inventory, right? <laughs> Me not paying attention, right? <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. So those will be on sale for a while. But um, <laughs> learning all that along the way, and then obviously the crew that I have, and then um, being able to execute it now. And then as we bring back sewing in-house, we'll be very dynamic with what we can do. Limited color runs. So right. we want to do, because we always say we're not going to do cryptic or first light or whatever again, but we want to order 200 yards of you know, make a hundred packs and cryptic, we can just do it here, right? It's on the, it's on the floor and it's super simple. So yeah. 
But I, with all that, if I don't become a full-blown alcoholic or have a panic attack in the middle of all that, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But so far, it's going good. <laughs> Find you in a closet somewhere sucking your thumb with a bottle of, of a screwball peanut, peanut butter whiskey. Jesus. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people have asked, say, hey, you know, what's your goal? It's like to hide. You know, that's my goal. And, and that's, why I moved, that's why I moved to Riverton. Yeah. Middle, no. of, the, middle of the smallest state. In, yeah. in the union. Well, and I mean, I, people are like, haha, laughing. I'm like, yeah, I'm not fucking around. Like, yeah, that's my is, goal is to, to, to hide. When I say hide, I still want to do public, some public speaking and classes, but like social media for mm-hmm. the most part gone um, and just disappear. Cause that other things like lifestyle, like your, your, you know, people say money doesn't buy everything. That's somewhat true. It does buy some cool shit, yeah. but it won't buy you more sleep. I can tell you that. Yes. Cause uh, I've, spend about as much money as I can to sleep more. But when I go to like, I'm going to help out Bart Lancaster way up in North BC. Yep. Once my cell phone doesn't work anymore, I sleep like a baby, right? Less stress or whatever. And so for me, it's just going to be, um, my way of life needs to alter as I get older. So I have less stress. So that's awesome. So family, daughter she's gonna be in her 20s now doesn't she yep she's um 21 god help us all i'm a grandpa oh um, really i didn't know that yeah yep i'm a grandpa um she, and she the kids different than me in the same a lot of ways different than others like i had money saved for to just go travel the world right yeah. like like i had to wait to do that and was able to later and um she wants to be a mom that's all she ever wanted to be wow. she's wanted to be a mom she's a mom right um she live in colorado uh, Texas right now. She lived actually in Colorado, worked for me, her and her, her boyfriend at the time, but now husband worked for me. They moved back down to the hill country, like comfort okay. dripping Springs area. Um, and she's kind of hacking it out on her own, you know, figuring shit out. Um, I help her every now and then, but that was interesting because like, for me, I just wanted her to go explore. I wanted her to be me. And yeah. I quickly found out she didn't want to be me. I didn't, wasn't mad about it. I was just like, that's what you want to do. Yeah. At least you're getting out of the way early. So when you're 40, your kid's grown up and maybe yeah. you, then you can do, you yeah. know, whatever. And then, uh, yeah, my, um, uh, I, recently I shouldn't even tell this story, but it's kind of comical. I was raised extremely poor, right? Very, yeah. very, very poor. Uh, my mom and dad's house burnt down in that big fire in Oregon. Um, I did not know that. Everything my childhood's burnt to the ground. So, Ugh. you know, we never had like really nice vehicles or whatever. I'm not crying the blues. It made me a better person, stronger person. But my my parents did not have a lot of money. And so um, my mom calls me. I wasn't close with my grandma and grandpa. My mom calls. She's like, hey, your grandma died. I'm like, oh, okay. I said, you guys okay? Whatever. I'm, t- I'm guiding, right? And mm-hmm. I, I have my mom on on uh, speaker all the time because she's, she's a hoop, right? She's funny. <laughs> um, so there's like 15 seconds of silence. She's like, so we're millionaires now. I was like, I forgot my grandparents had a lot of money. I'm sorry, um, what? <laughs> yeah. So I'm like thinking that like the clampets go to Maui type thing. So my my dad has a Ford trimmer now. Uh, they have a Can-Am. Uh, they have a custom home. So we're no longer <laughs> cutting firewood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was like, well, you know, good or whatever. So that was kind of cool. I don't have to worry about, um, you know, my mom That's specifically great. as she gets older. And then, yeah, the the crew the crew here, the, the move, not to bounce around, moving all the employees was a, a big one. And so just about every employee here has bought a house since they've been here kind of awesome. one of the you know beauties of wyoming a little bit yeah. less money yeah. and um you know try and uh um learning the local um uh lord like the construction portion of certain things yes. and how life works i i've 
from a small town, you, but kind of learning who's who and what's what. You're, you're kind of learning. Do you remember the old TV show uh, Green Acres? Oh yeah. You're, you're learning. You're learning that the guy that runs the the mercantile also <laughs> is the mayor who is also on the board for this and and can control that. And it, I, it's yes. so funny you bring up Green Acres because we were talking about. Because how old are you now? Oh, Forty six. Okay, we're the same age. Yes. Right. Um, Green Acres, Beverly Hillbillies. Um, <laughs> what's the uh, the one with Don Knotts and Mayberry? Uh, oh yeah. Leave it to Beaver. Leave it to Beaver. Yep. When I was a kid, right? That you probably watched with oh, your yeah. grandpa. And your, so Green Acres was one of them. And I was like, you go, guys, Green Acres. <laughs> yeah, they're looking at my horns growing out of my ass, right? So I pull it up on YouTube and I was like, this is kind of Riverton. And I brought up exactly what you did. I was like, well, you know, this guy's on this council and this council and this council. And when you kind of draw that circle around, you're like, we can, we need to keep that guy happy. You know? <laughs> so yeah, you better you better invite. Come to find out, we better invite the guy that's running the street sweeper to lunch a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, just learn in the community. But yeah. I, I, some of the things were rough getting the building built, but like the rest of it has been you know amazing. To a point, people have told me to shut up, uh, not talk about Wyoming anymore because it is. Yeah. Well, but, I'm one of those people growing up here. Actually, I, did you know I lived in Riverton twice in my life? No, Scott told me that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but yeah, I'm one of those people like, shh, we don't need any more people. Yeah. Here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've had a couple altercations because I have, I haven't, I had Colorado plates. Right? Oh, and yeah. Giant greenies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's giant, small penis truck, whatever. <laughs> and the one guy, I was trying to be polite. He was yelling at me, you know, on and on. And I'm, I finally, I jumped out. I was pissed. I was like, look, motherfucker, I'm Republican. Like, <laughs> yeah. Fuck off. And uh, he was like, whoa, this guy's not from Colorado. I'm like, look, we just moved, and he was super. He invited me to hunt on his land or whatever. Oh, there you but go. dude, he was like a sixty-year-old farmer, just not scared of shit, right? Like <laughs> screaming at me in the truck. And finally, I have those automatic. My truck's like worth worth more by probably a multiplier of four than my first house I lived in. Right? Yeah, it's got the little step down, oh, pops yeah. down, whatever. I have those. Those are awesome. Yeah, they are awesome. Hop on that, whatever. I'm yelling at the dude, and then we ended up. He's like, "You want to come over for a beer?" That's Wyoming. They'll probably shoot you, but they'll give you beer too. Like yep. that's the easiest way I could explain it's it. It's kind of like but, living in Ireland. Punch, I'll beat the crap out of you, and then we'll drink beers later. Yeah, have a pint. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's been super cool, and it's cool too. Like you know, you guys here. Obviously, there's multiple other outdoor companies here, and yeah. I know of nine other outdoor companies trying to move here yeah, right now. So I do too. Pretty crazy. It's uh, it's absolutely crazy. And it's a neat state. You know, our workforce is one of our struggles. You, you haven't faced that. That's why I asked you that question. I, I sat on the uh, a board um, that that for the previous governor and, you know, we were really instrumental, instrumental on Weatherby moving here and we would have been in, instrumental on that had, had the governor not changed. Anyway, um, one of the biggest problems that we face in this state is is the workforce in yeah. in a qualified workforce, but yeah. it's changing quickly, very quickly. Yeah, it is, and I, on our end, like we're gonna make them qualified. Is yep. kind of Bender called it the Kafaro University, not <laughs> not the educational hunting portion and survival, but uh, you're gonna go through it. There's gonna be a contract, honestly, yeah. and we're gonna send you through a a sewing course because we don't want to put that much time and effort into you know training people and then um, to have them go look at work at the Maverick next week because yeah, the benefits are better. Yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. Or just the fact that they get three months into it and they're like, oh, we 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 actually have to work. Yeah. Um, Exactly. So, you know, a little bit of a vetting period or whatever. 
whatever. But so far it's gone, you know, fairly, fairly well. And we'll hire people out of state too. I mean, yeah. it's easy enough. A lot of, a lot of people think they want to move to Wyoming this winter may have slowed that train down a little oh boy. bit. Yeah. There's a lot of people, you know, where I live, uh, we live really rural and, and I woke up one day and realized that all the people surrounding me are not from Wyoming. They're from Oregon, Colorado, um, you know, Washington. I have some people from California that live right next door to me. And uh, I, I tease them a lot. Yeah. Like you finally, yeah. you guys finally got a winner. You've been living here for yeah. four years and we haven't had a winner until now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it hasn't been like, if this is the worst it's got, Amy and I were talking about it. We lived at 10,000 feet in yeah. Colorado. So there was more snow there. I will say um, the negative 40 thing is a bit much for yeah. me. Um, like we did recently been doing some winter camping. Mm-hmm. I'm getting too old for that shit. We woke up as negative 13 climbing out of <laughs> my tent and, and like, let's build a bonfire. Right. Like, in fact, I'd have drone. I'm like, I want people to see this in Space. I'm cold, <laughs> right? So <laughs> that big standing dead timber—it's going to entire be lit standing yeah. there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, which you know, whatever. But I mean, if this is as bad as it gets, I could deal with this every year. The biggest thing is just the late. I'm worried more about the animals. Right? Yeah, the, and late, it's late been winter. rough. Yeah. It's been rough on them. Really has. Yeah. But. It is what it is. We just finally got a, a, a bad one, and, and it's been about five years since we had it. So Yeah, I think they told us for here, uh, 28 years since it's been here yeah. th- this bad. Um, yeah, there was twice I passed my house because the blizzard was so bad. I had to turn on MapQuest. Like, <laughs> You're like, around. Well, I, just, I couldn't see the turn off. And yeah. I called Amy because this is new to her. Right? And, and I'm like, hey, turn your, bl- your flashers on and be, go slow, be ready, whatever. Oh, it'll be fine. And she was like, she got home like white. She's like, <laughs> like I told you, you couldn't see the road from the whole trip from yeah, you can't the see, house. You can't see that you're r- driving on rumble no. strips. And oh, so when I drove back from um, this last trip guiding, um, I bit that last storm. Mm-hmm. I hit Casper like right in the thick of it. Oof. They hadn't closed. The, I would have drove around honestly the the block the, the yeah. gate anyway, but I got about 20 minutes into it. And it was like, there's a row of cars and a, finally they, most of them pulled over. I got ahead of them. They kind of followed me. I got crazy lights. Well then of course I'm pulling over. People are pulled over. I'm like, Hey, get fucking behind us. Like yeah. do not park here. Cause you're just like, going to get stuck. Some, yeah. Some yeah. semi is going <laughs> to, yeah. Or clip you. Yep. And, uh, cause they're like, we're going to wait it out. And then I'm like, get, get on the train behind me. So there was a caravan by the time we got to Shoshone <laughs> and the gate was closed, right? They blocked it. I pulled into that gas station and I, w- I called Amy. I was like, I made it. We're through. And she's like, how bad was it? I was like, that's the worst I've ever yeah. seen. I mean, two hours straight, I couldn't see, you know, the, the, the road, yeah. but, um, but yeah, yeah, that was, it was an, an adventure, but, um, that should detour some, some, uh, this winter should stop some people I would imagine moving into yeah. to Wyoming. So yeah. we'll see. You know. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you. Uh, appreciate your time. I know we got stuff to go on today. We got uh, Wyoming bow hunters tonight, uh, their convention. So that'll be fun. We'll probably end up bidding on some stuff and, and see what, uh, see, <laughs> hopefully we don't end up with a bear trap again. Right. Yeah. The last time I, I think we cut a $5,800 check for like four <laughs> hats, a flag and a bear trapper. It's so, funny. Aaron and I both ended up with obviously not the same bear trap, yeah. but same, we got in the same bear trap uh, using it fondly at a, at a, <laughs> event just like this like how did i end up with a 500 dollars fabricated bear trap well uh, the problem was is i don't like losing right and i was <laughs> drinking and uh, the dude obviously had some uh free income like i did and i wanted that trap and uh dude i paid 2300 dollars for that oh trap. my gosh yeah. i think i paid five for uh, one or yeah. seven something like that the dude loved it he was there he bought a pack from us but you know i got to the point i was licking my bid card and <laughs> sticking, sticking it to, it your to forehead. my head i was an idiot but i ended up with a bear trap 
I got it. So let's hopefully it doesn't go down to that level tonight. Jeez. <laughs> uh, well, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thanks for the tour. And I yeah. uh, look forward to hanging out some more. And, and now that you're just down the road, I'll uh, I'll pop in here more often. Yeah.